0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, we are dedicated to uh, exploring some maybe little-known corners of jazz history and uh, hopefully turning different people on to some things they might not have heard before. Uh, Welcome, if this is uh, a return visit to the Jazz Focus, and if not, if it's your first time, uh, welcome as well, and hope you uh, explore some of the other podcasts we've done over the last uh, seven or eight months or so. Today's focus is going to be on one of the jazz greats, Art Tatum, great piano player, uh who is primarily known for his solo recordings and also for the really uh, interesting and and incredible, in some ways, trio recordings that he did from 1943 to 4 and 1951 to 53. And that was a group that he performed with uh, quite extensively during those years. He had some commercial success, which is unusual for a jazz musician. Um, And as I said, they put out many really good recordings as well. Uh, We're instead going to talk about Art Tatum, the band pianist. He uh, did not spend a lot of time during his professional career playing as a member of a, of a jazz group per se other than the trio and occasional jam sessions, but he did record a few times with some small jazz combos and some people have said that this was not really uh, his true media. He, he was not a great band pianist because he was so technical and so florid in his approach to the piano um, that sometimes it would overshadow the rest of the band. We're going to hear some examples where that's indeed the case, but a couple of examples where He really uh, became part of the rhythm section and really lifted the proceedings of the band uh, on these recordings to to an extremely high degree. A little bit about our Tatum to begin with. He was born in 1909 in Toledo, Ohio. He uh, was blind, not quite from birth. He may have had cataracts as a, as a very uh, young child. Apparently, he could see a little bit when he played cards. If he held the cards right up to his eyes, he could see that, and he could distinguish colors and light and dark and things like that. But for all intents and purposes, he was blind, certainly legally blind. And, um, His uh, accomplishments on piano really demonstrated how the loss of one sense can lead to the the, the intensification of other senses. In this case, his ears, and I suppose his digital dexterity as well. He uh, listened to piano rolls as a boy, and uh, the story goes he would copy uh, what he heard on piano rolls, like uh, James B. Johnson's Carolina Shout and some of the other pop tunes of the day, without realizing that sometimes those rolls were... uh, adapted before they were released and notes were added and things like that, other lines and so forth. So technically one human being could not play uh, the, all of the notes that are on some of those roles, but no one told Art Tatum that and he developed a technique that enabled him to do feats of a pianistic flourish that no one else could before or after. There were classical pianists who felt that he was a, uh, one of the great technicians of all time on piano, and of course he was improvising, although some people have kind of attacked him for his improvisations as well and say he said he figured them out beforehand. Uh, that really doesn't seem to be the case. We have some recordings we're going to be listening to today that have alternate takes that are very, very different, uh, that would have been recorded 10, 15 minutes before or after the, the original take or the master take, And they show a different approach and different notes and all that. And um, he could really just uh, develop themes at will. He he had uh, probably something close to an eidetic memory of tunes and melodies and chord changes. And he would, uh, by some accounts, practice intentionally making mistakes to see how quickly he could recover from the mistake. And very often a mistake became something that was even better than the original thing with Art Tatum. So he played uh, as a boy and a, as a teenager in Toledo. By his late teens and early 20s, he was actually featured on the radio in Toledo. This would have been the late 1920s, uh, and he had his own radio show, which was very unusual for a jazz musician and even more unusual for an African-American jazz musician at the time. Uh, this radio play gave him some uh, exposure to different uh, uh, jazz players who were traveling in the area. People like Duke Ellington and uh, uh, Coleman Hawkins were talking about um, Art Tatum from the very late 1920s, even before he had come to New York, and they said he's a You know, an amazing pianist, and he became kind of a legend before he even appeared in New York. He did, in fact, appear in New York in 1932. He was picked up by uh, the singer Adelaide Hall, who had recorded with Duke Ellington and was touring the Black Vaudeville circuit in about 1931-32. One of her accompanists had had to leave the act, and so she uh, uh, got the recommendation to use Art Tatum, and she liked him very much and took him on the road with her, and they ended up in New York in about 1932. And he started making a name for himself as a solo pianist and also playing with some other groups, too. He made his first recordings with Adelaide Hall in 1932, made his first solo recording, which wasn't initially released, in 1933, and then started a very um, active program of recordings, which lasted for the rest of his life with a few little bumps in the road as time went on. And uh, as I said, most of it, what he recorded, the majority, was uh, in the... Uh, realm of the piano solo, just him by himself, and then some with the trio as well. But we're going to listen to some band recordings. And I've decided to start off, not chronologically, but actually with the latest uh, band recording that we're going to hear today. This is from uh, January 5th of 1945, and it was recorded um, in New York, I believe, uh, for the Black and White label. Black and White was one of those little jazz labels, little recording labels that started cropping up from the mid-40s. when the uh, American Federation of Musicians declared a recording ban in 1942. uh, No one could record for any label, but as time went on, especially during these World War II years, gradually they started loosening up the restrictions and individual recording labels started making deals with the uh, union in order to resume their recording activity and uh, that was an open door for a lot of new companies to start up and Black and White was one of those. So the name of the band that's recording here is the Barney Bigard Sextet. Barney Bigard, of course was the great New Orleans clarinet player. He had left Duke Ellington's band in about 1942 after about 15 years playing in that group. Uh, he was out on the West Coast primarily uh, at that point but he He'd come back to New York by nineteen. uh, 44 and was leading a band on 52nd Street that uh, featured Joe Thomas on trumpet we did a, uh, a podcast of Joe Thomas uh, earlier wonderful trumpet player and we heard some of the recordings that he did with Barney Begard, uh for keynote uh, he was on three sessions for black and white and then uh, keynote uh, in New York from December of 1944 to February of 1945 with Barney Bigard. again this was a working band although it was altered a little bit for this recording day we had have Joe Thomas on trumpet, Barney Bagard on clarinet. Another Joe Thomas on tenor sax, and he sings on one number we're not going to hear. He actually was the tenor sax soloist for the Jimmy Lunsford band for most of its uh, recorded existence from about 1933 until uh, Lunsford died in the late 40s, and then Joe Thomas actually took that band over and toured with it under his name for a while. We have Art Tatum, of course, on piano, Billy Taylor on bass, and Stan Levy on drums. And we're going to hear two tunes from that date. We're going to hear uh, an old standard called Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone. And then we're going to go to a Jerome Kern tune called Can't Help Lovin' That Man of Mine from Showboat. And that's going to feature the two Joe Thomases, uh, as well as Art Tatum. And uh, Barney Bigard doesn't even come in until the very end of that recording. So those are our first two tunes. Then we're going to go to Art Tatum's... Uh, band recordings under his own name, and he got off to a little bit of a rocky start with his band recording career. Uh, The first recording, which is third in our set uh, we're going to hear, is called Take Me Back to My Boots and Saddles, which was a pop tune of the 1930s. This was recorded on December 21st of 1935 and uh, was done by uh, Art Tatum and his band. This was never released, and aside from the trumpet player, whose uh, name was Guy Kelly, he was a New Orleans player who was active in Chicago during the 1930s, we don't know who's in the band, just Guy Kelly and Art Tatum, and there's at least one clarinet player and bass and drums and a singer. So uh, this, by the way, was written by Teddy Powell, uh, who was a band leader from later on. We may be doing a podcast on him a little bit later, too. So that was from December of 1935, uh, while uh, Tatum was touring in Chicago, Then we're going to go to a a date that he did in Los Angeles in February, February 26th of 1937 for the DECA label. And uh, DECA was his uh, recording label throughout most of the 30s and into the 40s. We're going to hear two tunes from that uh, session. We're going to hear Body and Soul, taking a little bit brighter tempo than we might expect. And then I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. So two Pretty sophisticated pop tunes of the day. Of course, uh, Body and Soul by uh, Johnny Green and I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm by Irving Berlin, one of Berlin's later tunes. And this is uh, called Art Tatum and His Swingsters, and it features all West Coast musicians. Lloyd Reese was on trumpet. Marshall Royal, later to be known as Count Basie's lead alto player, um, and an excellent lead alto player, was here playing clarinet. He was actually a very fine clarinet player, too, along with Tatum, Bill Perkins on guitar. Joe Bailey on bass and Oscar Bradley on drums. So, those are our five tunes for this set. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone and can't help loving that man of mine by the Barney Bagard Sextet. Art Tatum and his band, Take Me Back to My Boots and Saddle. And then Art Tatum and his Swingsters, Body and Soul, and I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. <laughs>
1: me my boots and saddle Got a Hank and be with a banjo on my knees Drumming a pretty western tune There's a gal in Cherokee and she's waiting there for me Waiting eat the Texas moon So take me back to my boots and saddle oh, 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 oh. Let me greet each blazing morn On the ranch where I was born Give me my boots and saddle.
0: piano playing by Art Tatum in a band setting, which is a little bit unusual when we think of Art Tatum. So we started out with Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone by the Barney Bigard sextet, uh, featured a full chorus by him, also some nice trades between the two Joe Thomases, trumpet and tenor sax, and then the leader, Barney Bigard did some of his uh, patented swoops and glides as well. Then on to a, a performance of a tune that uh, Billie Holiday had recorded. Uh, this came from the uh, late 1920s show, Showboat by uh, Jerome Kern. Can't help loving that man of mine. This was a nice kind of a not too slow performance, but uh, it, it preserved a lot of the ballad uh, feeling of the of the piece. And we were featured heavily of the trumpet and trump uh, the trumpet and the tenor sax, Joe Thomas's, uh, in the first chorus, and then a whole chorus by Tatum, and then Bagard comes in at the end of that. So clearly, even though the session was under Barney Bagard's name, Art Tatum was really the feature, and uh, Clearly, he, uh, he he dominated the proceedings, but uh, what he was doing within the band was not disruptive in any way. And as I said, sometimes he was accused of being a little too uh, overwhelming in a band context, just from his own uh, technique and technological uh, mastery of the piano. Then we went to uh, Tatum's first band recording, or under his own name anyway. This is called Take Me Back to My Boots and Saddle, and we heard a vocal in there. This was done in Chicago, as I said, in 1935. Uh, it was never released, and we don't know who the uh, uh, other players are other than Guy Kelly on trumpet. And Guy Kelly was uh, uh, not a terribly well known New Orleans player. He had uh, been active uh, in New Orleans, of course, in the 1920s. I think he was slightly younger than Louis Armstrong. And then he ended up in Chicago. He made recordings with a number of groups, including Jimmy Noons, and uh, uh, was well featured on a few recordings, but then sort of drifted away into obscurity and passed away, I guess, without making too many more records. There was also at least one clarinet. The notes say two clarinets. I'm not sure I hear a second one in there, and bass and drums. But the real feature, of course, is Art Tatum. And then we finished up with two tunes by Art Tatum and his Swingsters from the West Coast, Los Angeles, on February 26th of 1937. This begins uh, his Uh, association with Decca Records. He had been recording for it for a number of years, but this was his first band recording on there. We're going to hear some more coming up. And this featured some West Coast uh, musicians who were playing with less height and uh, some of the other African-American bands out there at the time in the mid to late 30s. Uh, Marshall Royal is the best known and certainly the best musician on clarinet. We heard him a little bit on Body and Soul, but a little bit more on I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. Lloyd Reese was on trumpet, Bill Perkins on guitar, Joe Bailey on bass, and Oscar Bradley on drums. But again, it was Tatum all the way. And in this case, he probably uh, did overwhelm the band a little bit. Uh, It was not one of the better bands that he recorded with, certainly. Um, But there's some good moments in there. There were a couple of other tunes from that date I decided not to pick. But I do like the two that we did, Body and Soul, and I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. So as I said, Tatum uh, became better known to the public... Uh, when he went with his trio or put his trio together uh, in 1943, and that featured two uh, very interesting musicians who on paper don't look like they would go together with Art Tatum, but the three of them together made some really incredible music, and they were all really on the same wavelength, even if not the same technical length. We had Slam Stewart on bass. He's best known for uh, humming along with his bass solos and creating a very interesting sound that way, and Tiny Grimes on guitar. Grimes became more of a rhythm and blues player later on, but he was recording with uh, Tatum and, by his own admission, hanging on for dear life uh, in the uh, 1943-44 to period. And that was, as I said, probably Tatum's most successful period uh, as a musician financially. He was uh, very much in demand with that group, and that started the whole kind of interest in piano trios. And there were several others that came uh, out of that, either with the same instrumentation, piano, guitar, and bass, or sometimes having drums, or something else. We had uh, the Herman Chittison piano trio that we heard on an earlier podcast. Nat King Cole started out with his trio, of course. Uh, a little bit later, he had people like George Shearing and Lenny Tristano, and uh, a lot of different groups with very different uh, approaches to jazz. But they all sort of grew out of this Art Tatum style. And Tatum himself was an overwhelming influence piano players. Uh, Art, uh, rather, uh, Fats Waller famously said, I play piano, but God is in the house when Tatum came into one of his gigs. Although Tatum uh, said quite uh, generously that uh, Fats Waller was his primary influence when he was growing up and also uh, as a young professional as well. But no one could really beat Art Tatum as a technical pianist. And some of the solo recordings he did are just uh, breathtaking uh, in the speed of execution and things like that. He tames himself a little more on these band recordings and and tries to fit into the rhythm section, as we're going to hear on this next date, but uh, there are moments where he really lets himself go and some of his harmonic substitutions and things like that really sort of elevate these performances from a, a standard swing band of 1941 into something much more resonant of later styles of jazz. So, that said, we're going to listen to an entire session that he did in uh, January of 19... Forty-one. This is January 21st of 1941, again for DECA. This is Art Tatum and his band, and we're going to hear Joe Thomas again on trumpet. Uh, he was really a ubiquitous presence on, on small group dates, and well he should uh, have been. He was a fantastic player, came out of St. Louis and the, the storied brass tradition there in the 1920s. I'll let you go listen to my Joe Thomas on Keynote podcast to get a little more biographical information. But uh, the next session especially really features his big buttery sound. He was renowned for having one of the nicest tones of any trumpet player of that school and even beyond as well. We're going to hear Edmund Hall, another person I did a uh, podcast on recently, from New Orleans on clarinet. He was beginning to get around quite a lot by the late 30s in different uh, swing groups and recording sessions and uh, Tatum apparently liked him because there were several recordings that they appeared on together. And of course Tatum on piano, John Collins in this case on guitar, there's uh, some nice guitar solos from him, or at least one. Billy Taylor, again on bass, and Eddie Doherty on drums. And on two of the numbers, we're going to hear the uh, legendary, even by 1941, Joe Turner, big Joe Turner uh, singing the blues. He came out of Kansas City. He made some fabulous recordings in the in 1930s with uh, pianist Pete Johnson, also for DECA, and then, of course, he went on for another career. By the way, we have another podcast of him. You can tell that my podcasts tend to... Uh, go in stream of consciousness. I play one and then I start thinking of something related and off we go. So uh, you don't have to listen to them in sequence. You can pretend I meant all of this as we went. So we're going to hear four tunes from this Art Tatum and his band session. We're going to start out with the uh, Swing Standard by Edgar Sampson. "Stompin' at the Savoy with some very nifty harmonic uh, shifts by Tatum and a beautiful uh, Joe Thomas solo as well. Then we're going to go to uh, Ooh Wee Baby Blues, "Wee Baby Blues as it was really called, featuring Joe Turner. And this was a bit of a hit record for Tatum and Turner at the time, and this was a tune that uh, Joe Turner kept in his repertoire for the rest of his life. Then we're going to go to another Joe Turner song, The Last Goodbye Blues. And we're going to finish up with a a fast instrumental blues performance called the Battery Bounce. And uh, that will feature everybody, especially Edmund Hall on that one. He has some nice innings, as does uh, guitar player John Collins. So we'll hear a little bit of uh, each of those groups as well. I should mention Battery Bounce was by Art Tatum. Last Goodbye uh, was by Joe Turner and Pete Johnson, as was We Baby Blues, and as I mentioned, Edgar Sampson wrote Stompin' at the Savoy. So we're going to hear those four tunes, all from the same session, with some really fine playing all around, an excellent group of, of very compatible musicians. So, Stompin' at the Savoy, We Baby Blues, Last Goodbye Blues, and Battery Bounce.
2: I could stand to see you die I said if you were my buddy Baby I'd take you by your hand I said if you were my buddy I'd take you by your hand Show you what I
0: Four fine swingers and bluesy numbers from the Art Tatum and his band session of January 1941 for Decca. started out with Stompin' at the Savoy featuring a fantastic trumpet solo, I think, by Joe Thomas and some very fine clarinet by Edmund Hall. It was one of the few New Orleans clarinet players who really was uh, had, had adopted the swing practices of Benny Goodman. Uh, he knew his chord changes and his... Uh, Phrasing was really very much of the swing era. And, of course, Art Tatum on piano. Also in the group, we have John Collins on guitar, who's going to be featured on another tune coming up, and Billy Taylor on bass, and Eddie Doherty on drums. And on the next number, next two numbers, actually, we feature the singing of Big Joe Turner. And uh, he had a minor hit, as I said, with this next tune called the Wee Baby Blues, which featured... uh, Some very fine traditional blues playing by Art Tatum on there. And then the following uh, number, which was um, Last Goodbye Blues. Then we ended up with another blues, a fast blues, very much more traditional, called the Battery Bounce, featuring uh, Collins on guitar, Hall on clarinet, and Thomas on trumpet, as well as Art Tatum, of course. So... After uh, the World War II years, Tatum was really known as a solo pianist, although, as I said, he got his trio back together with a different guitar player. He had Everett Barksdale on guitar uh, from 1951 to 53, and uh, he started recording first for Capitol Records after he left Decca, and then with um, uh, Gene Norman for a while, and also with Norman Granz. He was one of the early uh, signees to Norman Granz's new uh, clef label, which was also known as... uh, Uh, verve later on. So uh, a lot of those songbook albums, for example, Ella Fitzgerald did, were uh, prefigured a little bit by Art Tatum. He did a number of solo piano collections, in fact, hundreds of solo piano recordings that Grand's uh, released little by little, but he all, was also featured with soloists on a few LPs. The last one that he did was with Ben Webster, and that's considered one of the best of that whole series, and it was done only a few months before uh, Tatum passed away in 1956 of uremia. Actually, he was a, a very heavy drinker, although... Uh, Most people said it never seemed to affect his playing or his ability to uh, function, uh, but he drank enormous amounts of alcohol, which may have contributed to diabetes and uremia, which uh, killed him, unfortunately, in 1956, but he left a lot of very fine albums. And we're going to hear uh, four tunes to end up this program. We're going to hear two tunes that are somewhat related to the uh, session we just heard. This is also called Art Tatum and His Band. It's from June of 1941 for DECA. Very similar group, except there's no clarinet. Edmund Hall was not on this for whatever reason. But we still have Joe Thomas on trumpet. Art Tatum. uh, Oscar Moore is here playing guitar. He was known better for playing with uh, Nat King Cole later on. Uh, Billy Taylor, again on bass, and Yank Porter, who had played with uh, Fats Waller, among others, is on drums here. And all four of these tunes, we're only going to listen to two of them, but all four of the tunes from the session feature Joe Turner. So uh, clearly those Joe Turner recordings from the earlier session were quite successful, or successful enough commercially to repeat the experiments. And the two tunes that we're going to hear are the Lonesome Graveyard Blues, um which is a very dark (laughs) tune, Uh, and then we're going to hear uh, traditional blues called Karina Karina, um, both featuring, of course, Joe uh, Turner, but also featuring Art Tatum, and some nice Joe Thomas solos along the way. Then we're going to jump over to 1943, and we're going to hear the results of a recording session sort of under Coleman Hawkins' name, but these were actually uh, the uh, Esquire All-Stars. Uh, the title uh, given on the recording of the band was Coleman Hawkins with Leonard Feather's Esquire All-Stars. Leonard Feather was a jazz critic, and I guess he was responsible for Esquire magazine uh, having a, a jazz uh, poll, who of the top jazz instrumentalists and so forth. And uh, it culminated in a couple of concerts that happened a little bit before this recording date. Um... Actually, uh, it was a little after this recording date, as a matter of fact. This recording took place in uh, December of 1943. There were a couple of um, concerts in January of 1944, one at Carnegie Hall and one at the Metropolitan Opera House. But this recording session was done for Commodore and featured Cootie Williams on trumpet, Edmund Hall on clarinet, Coleman Hawkins on tenor, Tatum on piano, Al Casey is on guitar, Oscar Pettiford on bass, and Sid Catlett on drums. Interesting to note that... uh, of those musicians, only uh, the rhythm section and Coleman Hawkins appeared uh, on those concerts. They had a completely different personnel, which included Louis Armstrong and Roy Eldridge and uh, Barney Begard and other people. But this recording date uh, was really a, a kind of a seminal uh, swing date from 1943. Uh, Coleman Hawkins do- uh, dominates the proceedings as much as he can with Art Tatum and the band, although Cootie Williams is going to be heavily featured on the last number. And we'll hear some wonderful plunger-muted playing and some Ellingtonish sounds coming out of this group. So we're going to start with a ballad from there. My Ideal, which features Coleman Hawkins and uh, Tatum an interesting um, uh, example of Tatum playing accompaniment on a slow tune for a soloist. This is a Richard Whiting tune from that period. Then we're going to end up with a tune that was originally called a boff boff which then later came to be known as mop mop, which you know Thank heavens for that, I suppose. And that features quite a lot of very fine tenor sax and trumpet. We're not going to hear much Edmund Hall on here, but we've already heard, heard quite a bit of him today. So, our four tunes, Lonesome Graveyard Blues, Karina Carina, My Ideal, and Mop Mop. In yeah, a
2: lonesome graveyard Many, many miles away In a lonesome graveyard Many, many miles away Lies my dear baby Sleeping beneath the clay If you got a good woman, you better love her every day. If you got a good woman, you better love her every
3: day.
2: Or that lonesome graveyard might steal your baby away.
0: sides of Art Tatum there. We started out with a really odd performance of um, the Lonesome Graveyard Blues and uh, not that the tune itself was odd, Joe Turner sings the dark lyrics, but after the vocal you get a little moment of of kind of postmodern blues playing by Art Tatum and Oscar Moore on guitar they have a little conversation uh, that almost turns atonal. It's bitonal, certainly. Uh, It's not really adhering to any key, and it's very forward-looking. I mean, this was done in 1941. Uh, It puts you in mind of jazz from probably 20 years later, and uh, they do a full chorus of that, and then they return to slightly more traditional territory for the final chorus of that, but a really interesting performance of of a Pretty basic blues, and then we followed that up with Karina Karina, the most basic of blues, and one of the very old blues themes uh, in the African American tradition. And that featured, of course, Joe Tom—excuse uh, me, uh, well, yes, Joe Thomas on trumpet, but Joe Turner on vocals. Uh, we had a little bit of Oscar Moore on guitar, and of course, Art Tatum. And then the last two numbers showed off a bit more sophistication, a little more. Uh, Complicated material. We had uh, the Esquire All-Stars, uh, led by Coleman Hawkins, and doing a beautiful ballad performance of my ideal, a Richard Whiting tune that featured mostly Hawkins and some Art Tatum in there as well. Really uh, Interesting example of Tatum uh, being an accompanist to a great soloist. Coleman Hawkins was one of the few players of uh, that time who could really uh, stand up to our Tatum in terms of harmonic knowledge and substitutions and things like that. And then we finished off with an I Get Rhythm variation called boff-boff, or a mop-mop, if you prefer, and uh, featured Tatum, of course, some fine Coleman Hawkins, and ended up with a chorus and a half of Cootie Williams, the great Ellington trumpeter, who at the time, I think by then he had left Duke Ellington. Yes, he had left Duke Ellington. He was playing with Benny Goodman for a while, and he was about to go out on his own with his own band in 1943. So some very fine jazz of the swing period, all featuring Art Tatum, not commonly known as a band pianist, but here showing off uh, kind of a different way of approaching the rhythm section in a band. So I hope you've enjoyed this program. You've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. If you were so inclined and would like to sponsor us we have a sponsorship button somewhere on your screen whether you're on anchor.fm or Spotify wherever you might be uh, we're going to be doing more programs coming up hope you're still interested uh, people have been sending me some ideas and so forth and I may incorporate some of those coming up if you'd like to get in touch with me check out my band website all word. also the Wolverine Jazz Band on Instagram and Facebook so until next time I hope you uh, Hear some fine jazz and uh, come back to hear some fine jazz here as well. And I'll see you on the other side.